Can I have another jelly sandwich? Sally asked her grandmother, Ma Fanny. They were in the kitchen of the rooming house, sitting on opposite sides of the big wooden table. Such big eyes, Ma Fanny said, laughing. You still have half a sandwich left. I know, but it's so good. Sally licked the jelly from the corners of her mouth. I could eat 20 sandwiches at least. Only 20? Maybe 21, Sally said. Why don't you make yourself a jelly sandwich, too? And if you can't finish it, I will. I should eat jelly and have heartburn all night? Ma Fanny asked. Opening passage of starring Sally J. Friedman as herself by Judy Bloom. And this is Books That Raised Us. I'm Alana Shapiro, an educator and mom whose best friends were books for most of my childhood. And I'm Esty Shapiro, a semi adrift grad student still living in my mom's basement. Should we jump right in? Sure. So this is the classic Judy Bloom novel about 10-year-old Jewish Sally growing up on the East Coast right after World War II. She and her family decide to leave their home in New Jersey for a winter move to Miami Beach, Florida. This book follows her time adjusting to this new adventure, as her father calls it, and navigating new friendships and her very Jewish family's new different living situation. So this one was my pick, um, and I reread the book, uh, but you didn't. So what do you remember about it? Well, so two things. Um, My most vivid memory of this book is actually probably like a teeny tiny piece that has nothing to do with the plot. Um, But there's a situation with, there's like a... Portuguese man of war infestation <laughs> at the at the beach and someone gets stung her brother or her friend or something does Sally Sally yeah gets stung? Sally's the one who gets stung <laughs> I I probably didn't know what that was when I first read it and I I would assume I asked you and you explained you know it's sort of like a jellyfish but um there was just something about that like imagery of the way she described it hurting and like being afraid of it and then they're like cleaning it out um that that really freaked me out as a kid you know I I grew up in Denver very very landlocked and the ocean like kind of terrifies me um so that's the part I remember the most that's really funny but but in terms of like how I sort of more broadly remember this book um I just I think about um like how cool I thought Sally was and how much she reminded me of myself in a way that like I felt like I was her but I also wanted to be her um I remember like feeling really being excited about the fact that you know she looked like I did her family looked like ours um and they were very close and very Jewish and that's that's what I remember I love that you said that because honestly that's really why I chose this book. Um, I feel like more than any other book, uh, this is the book that raised me um, into a reader for my whole life. Um, You know, she, so much of Sally 
felt so close to who I was in a way that I had never read in any other book. You know, she was a 10-year-old Jewish girl, and the book came out um, probably 1977, I think, and I read it in probably 1979, 1980. Um, And so I was about the same age as Sally was in the story. Um, she was, she had a very close knit, very Jewish family and, um, she had this wild imagination and really kind of lived inside her head a lot, which was very much like I was as a kid. And she even had a grandmother who lived with her, which was really (laughs) unusual. Yeah, probably not so common in a white suburban America in the 80s. Exactly. And so um, there's just so much about her that echoed my life. Um, And I, I was really struck, you know, as a child by reading that. And then again, Um, when you read it and you related so much with Sally, you know, 25 years or so after I read it. And I think it really gets to um, Judy Bloom and why she was such an amazing writer um, and the way in which she kind of got inside the head of a 10 year old and um, how Sally's world came alive in this book in a way that was just really powerful for me. For sure. Do you, either from when you were a kid or maybe rereading it, um, do you have a favorite part of the book? You know, that's such a hard question because I really don't. Um, it, the book is such a whole for me. <laughs> and I love the whole book so much that it's it's impossible for me to pick a favorite part. Um, there is sort of this theme throughout the book where Sally, Sally just has this really, really active imagination. And she has this whole kind of storyline that she's made up in her head when they move down to Miami. Um, she has this neighbor, Mr. Zavodsky, and he's an older Jewish man who lives in her apartment complex. And Sally is convinced and convinces herself and has this whole wild imagination storyline going on throughout the whole book that Mr. Zavodsky is actually Hitler in hiding in Miami Beach, Florida. (laughs) You know, I wonder, it it didn't strike me till right now, but I wonder if this book was part of sort of what put me on the path of my my early fascination with um, historical fiction, but specifically Holocaust literature. Um, but it really strikes me um, that this book is so different than other, you know, it's not a Holocaust story. It's It's a story about a young Jewish kid in America, like post-World War II, but sort of, you know, grappling with the legacies of that and the impact on it, her family. But um, but it's so funny. It's so, yeah. you know, it's so different than other, other stories of that genre. Right. Because it's really, it's, you know, how the Holocaust was seen by this nine-year-old girl in... New Jersey and Miami Beach, Florida, so so far removed from the actual Holocaust. And so she hears about adults 
talking about it and talking about concentration camps and Adolf Hitler and the war. Um, and she really just can't fathom what the Holocaust was. And for her, it's really kind of this like crime story, novel adventure. Um, and she makes up her own, she fills in the gaps herself and makes up her yeah. own stories. And, you know, she becomes the hero, capturing Hitler, finding Hitler, leading the police to Hitler's arrest and capture. But I, I guess what's interesting to me is like this book does that um, and sort of makes it a, about Sally and sort of her perception of these like larger issues without like shying away from like the reality and the horror of it, right? Like in some ways it sort of strikes me as as a kind of like almost like violent or gory story, right? Like she talks about, you know, her cousin who was murdered in the camps and 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 like has an understanding of like these are really, really horrible, horrible things that happened. Um, but but sort of to her nine-year-old imagination, they're not necessarily like more important or more real or whatever than like what you know what's happening in her family and her move right. to Florida and her drama with her friends and yeah I I don't know that that balance is really striking to me yeah and I think um that sort of tension between her imagination um and that being rooted in history <laughs> in in what had really gone on in Europe in the preceding years um, just is fascinating the way um, Judy Bloom writes it and and creates her character. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's part of why it felt so relatable is that um, it, it was sort of a lens through which to understand these things. And like um, what was happening in Europe was just as far removed or felt just as distant to me as it did to to Sally, you know, right? Are there are there sort of other ways that you feel like you saw yourself in that character or connected to her? Yeah, I think I think in the whole book there are kind of these big overarching, you know, a Jewish character, a ten year old girl um, who has her grandmother living with her family. Those kind of big things that I mentioned, but also there are these small little things in the book that really were just so much a part or so echoed the way I felt about myself. I really felt very similar to the ways Sally felt in the book. I, um, I had grown up with an older brother and sister who were super athletic and super talented. And they had all these trophies and, you know, bowling trophies and gymnastics trophies and football and baseball and trophies for everything they were so good at everything they did um and that just wasn't me I was not the competitive or athletic kid at all I was actually just really quiet and bookish in a lot of ways and um and so you know this this feeling um of you know, not being the best at anything is echoed. Um, there's a chapter, chapter 24, there's a section, her, her class was having an election for king and queen of posture. And the winners would go on to compete in the all fifth grade contest. Um, and so Sally enters to win and she doesn't win. She comes in last place. And she says, um, you know, there's always next time. Maybe she'd do better then. 
There were so many contests in Miami Beach, the newspapers were full of them. Miss Bright Eyes, Miss Complexion, Miss Long Legs, even Central Beach Elementary School had contests all the time. Girl of the Week, Tumbler of the Month, Smile of the Year. Maybe they'd have a Queen of Toenails contest, Sally thought. Yeah, she could win that one. Then she'd get to be the fifth grade representative to the all-school queen of toenails election. <laughs> <laughs> what makes one the queen of toenails? Well, in Sally's case, it was that she had very pretty feet and polished toenails. Um, yeah, I, I would not have won yeah, that one. No, I wouldn't have either. You know, <laughs> Sally would have been first and yeah. we would have been exactly. last. You know, feet are not the most attractive thing ever. Um, but... You know, her idea of what she was good at or what she was deserving of a prize for to win an award for um, was similar to me. You know, when I was a kid, I wasn't athletic. I wasn't sporty. I wasn't, you know, any of the things that were awards were being passed out for until actually not long after I read this book in fifth grade. My fifth grade teacher, Mr. Spataro, had a um, reading challenge, a reading competition. And it was really the first time I was the best in my class at anything. And I can remember being so proud of myself and so excited every week um, you know, he would tally up the number of minutes that all the kids read. And there was this big chart in the front of the room. And every, like pretty much every single week of fifth grade, I was the number one reader in the class. Did you get a prize for you? So, you know, I think there must have been some sort of a prize at the end of the year. I honestly don't even remember what that was. Um, but I do remember at some point we did get ribbons, kind of like the old field day ribbons. And on field day, I always got like the participation ribbon or the last place ribbon. But this was the first time I ever got one of those really fancy big blue ribbons for first place. And that was, that was a pretty big deal. Then, you know, I credit Judy Bloom for, for much of that um, because I spent, you know, many, many, many hours in the bathtub with Judy Bloom books. <laughs> you used to read in the bath? Oh my gosh, all the time. I loved it. And you wouldn't drop your book in the water? That's pretty impressive. No, I was very careful. They were very precious to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. How many times, if you had to, to put a number to it, how many times uh, did you read this book as a kid? Oh my gosh, um, a lot. Probably at least 10 times. I, I... I read a lot of books. I was a voracious reader, but I also um, I had this habit of going back to my old favorites really frequently. And so this was one that I read kind of over and over and over again as a kid. Yeah, I feel like um, it's just sort of like a testament to uh, the place this book holds in our hearts that we still had on our shelves, um, not one, but two copies of this book. <laughs> yeah, I love that I still have my original copy from the 70s. And you also have have yours from, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, well, I love that you had a copy. And when I wanted to read this book, you still bought me a new one so that I wouldn't <laughs> fuck yours up. <laughs> yeah, I might have been a little possessive of this one. Sorry. <laughs> 
Um, I'd love to hear more, though, about the connection that you felt to Sally's relationship with Ma Fanny. Uh, can you think of any stories about your Bubby or ways in which this book really reminded you of her? Yeah, so really it was just not particular stories, but just the way she spoke, the voice of Ma Fanny in the story. You know, I should eat a jelly sandwich and get heartburn or, you know, you know being very superstitious and those kinds of things. My bubby was very superstitious. You know, she had this whole thing where, you know, um, if you sneezed, you had to pull up your ear so you weren't tempting the evil eye. And, (laughs) you know, um, it, yeah, (laughs) she was really superstitious. Um, And so just, just her voice, I guess, um, echoes in my head of the way my booby sound sounded in, in my head. Yeah. Um, I wonder sort of in how close you were with your booby and how close Sally was with Ma Fanny. Um, I wonder if there's anything to sort of that, that relationship as maybe being, um, easier, you know, I think there's, there's sort of some tension often with like parents who have to like enforce rules. Um, and I wonder yeah, I wonder sort of what it, what it is about like the bubby in in <laughs> yeah. in these families um, that I don't know. I just I think that in a lot of ways the bubby or the grandmother relationship, grandmother grandchild um, relationship is just so much more pure and easy. Um, you know, my mom used to joke around that being a grandparent is so great that she wishes she had done that first, um, and so. You know, I think it's true. I think um, the grandparent can can be that source of love and joy and affirmation and, <laughs> you know, yeah. all of that very purely. And it's not about the discipline and the making sure, you know, everything gets done and they have everything they need and all of that. Well, and that, I mean, I for sure felt that with, with my bubby, your mom, who, who never lived with us, but who was very active in, in helping to raise me. Um, you know, we, it was just all fun all the time. Like Wednesdays, which were the day that we spent with (laughs) bubby were just the best day of the week. Yeah. Macaroni and cheese for breakfast and all of that. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. This um, In this book, you know, one of the things that characterizes um, Sally's mom is a lot of anxiety. Um, and she, her dad often talks to her about ways in which he wants Sally to um, be brave or, you know, be willing to have adventures in a way that sometimes her mom... Um, is reticent of and it's interesting to me because in my family it that's kind of the opposite um you know my my bubby was very anxious and very nervous person um and you know my mom who wasn't like a big adventurer or anything uh but she um she certainly didn't didn't carry with her the same kind of anxiety um that that my bubby did um but in this book, it's it's very cute. There's a, a little um, piece about the relationship between the dad, Sally's dad, and Ma Fanny. And Ma Fanny is Sally's pater- maternal grandmother. And so um, Louise is, is Sally's mom. 
And it's um, Louise at one point says that uh, they're talking about something that Ma, Ma Fanny cooks for uh, the dad when when he comes down to Florida for a visit. And she, Louise jokes around that um, dad only married her in order to get to Ma Fanny's cooking. Um, so, you know, I think there's also just a really nice kind of son-in-law, mother-in-law relationship there. Um, in the story as well. Yeah, no, I I think it's really sweet. Yeah, so going back and reading this book almost 30... Mm, 40. 40 (laughs) years later, um, are there parts that surprised you? Or Uh, what had you forgotten about it? Yeah, so, um, you know, I reread this book when you read it, so 15 years ago, um, and really connected with it again then. Um, but this time that I reread it for, for the podcast, I, um, there was something that really surprised me and, and I realized that, um, the dad in this story is, is way more woke than I remember (laughs) him being, um, when they first get down to Florida, um, Sally has a situation where they're in, she and her friend are in the grocery store and, um, she drinks from the wrong drinking fountain and uh, a woman, uh, a white woman in the grocery store scolds her, uh, and her friend for doing that. And so she, um, doesn't really understand that. And so she writes a letter to her dad. Um, and in that letter, she writes this afternoon, me and Andrea went to the five and dime and I took a drink from the wrong water fountain. They have two of them there. One is marked white and the other is marked colored. What would happen if a person with dark skin took a drink from our fountain? Do they really have different germs? Since you went to dental college, I'm sure you know these things. (laughs) So dad writes back, dear Sally, in your last letter, you raised some questions that are hard to answer. I have always believed that people have more similarities than differences, regardless of the color of their skin. While the South continues to practice outright segregation, the North is not much better. We just don't admit we do it. For instance, how many black children were in your school in New Jersey? Which, which um, kind of blew me away when I reread it this time. You know, thinking about not only did he, you know, clearly call out the racism that Sally was asking him about, um, but he really drew attention to not only the very explicit outward racism of the South, but the very um, under the surface, but very present racism of the North as well. So that was... Yeah, that feels like it's still like in some circles, at least a pretty radical thought, let alone, I I mean, I can't even imagine in the 70s when this was written. But um, the idea that that this character is calling out not only that like racism is systemic and that there are things like implicit bias that are like, you know, bigger than the, the segregated water fountains, Mm -hmm. but also, um, that he like explicitly implicates the public school system is like pretty, (laughs) pretty big deal. That's really cool. I I didn't remember that part of this, this book either. No, me neither. It was very exciting to read this time around. (laughs) Are there other passages that stick out to you? Um, you know, so I talked about in the beginning her whole very imaginative um, 
stories that she builds up in her head. And most of the time, those are really around kind of games she's playing with her friends or um, as she's trying to fall asleep, she makes up stories um, about this neighbor, uh, Mr. Zvodsky, um, and, you know, the fact that he's Hitler in hiding. But um, there's this one storyline that Sally and her friend Shelby are riding their bikes in the park and Shelby falls off her bike and scrapes up her her leg and you know they they both get kind of scared and and Shelby clearly needs help um, and there's nobody right around them to help them so Sally decides to uh, ride her bike home to get help to bring back to Shelby in the park. She leaves Shelby in the park. And as she's leaving the park, she sees Mr. Zvodsky on a park bench and she kind of keeps her head down and please don't notice me and races past him to go home to get help. And sorry, Mr. Zvodsky's the neighbor who she thinks yeah, is Hitler. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so um, she gets home and her mom you know, gets a little upset with her for leaving Shelby alone and injured in the park. Um, and so she and her mom jump on bikes and Sally is pretty impressed with her mom who, who hops on the older brother's boy's bike and rides back to the park. How old is her older brother? Um, I th- He's at the beginning of high school, I think. So I think he's like 14, 15, yeah. something like that. I just, I, I can like vivid, vividly remember when I read this book, he just seemed like this like unbelievably surly, miserable <laughs> teenager. And yeah. he seems so old to me. And like, I mean, he, he can't have been that much older than her, right? Like, right. 14 yeah. is not old, but it, it was to me when yeah. <laughs> I was nine. Anyways, yeah. sorry. Go, you yes. So, so she and her mom ride the bikes back to the park. And when they get there, Shelby's gone. Shelby's not there in the park anymore. And um, Sally sort of freaks out thinking that, um, you know, the only explanation that could possibly be for Shelby not being there in the park anymore is that Mr. Zvodsky has kidnapped her and he's going to kill her. Um, And so, so Louise, Sally's mom um, and Sally, you know, go to Shelby's house. They they ride the bikes over to Shelby's apartment um, so that they can let her family know that Shelby fell and got hurt in the park. And the whole way over there, Sally is imagining how she's going to tell Shelby's grandmother that Shelby has been kidnapped and murdered by Hitler himself, <laughs> you know, who's who's in Miami Beach, Florida. And, um, you know, they, they get to Shelby's and lo and behold, Shelby is perfectly fine and cleaned up and bandaged and, uh, sitting on her, the floor of her apartment, um, playing cards. And so (laughs) big relief. Thank goodness. Um, you know, (laughs) Shelby's okay. She wasn't murdered by Hitler. Um, but that, you know, that kind of mentality that Sally has in that moment where, you know, something bad happens and you go directly, do not pass go, like just directly to the absolute horrible worst case scenario, um, you know, is something that I think I 
like Sally did sometimes in my own head as a kid and a little embarrassed to admit this now, but honestly, like still something that I, I tend towards at times, you know, if, if my kids are late getting home (laughs) from something or I don't hear from you on your cell phone for, you know, several hours, you know, they're in a ditch somewhere or, you know, hurt or injured or maimed or in the hospital. So, you know, kind of that, that. Yeah, that's anxiety. Yeah, (laughs) anxiety, catastrophizing, you know, kind of trauma response. Um, really, really just is something that I've sort of grappled with my whole life and, um, and have in common apparently with, with Sally J. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I think, I think when we were picking this book, we both sort of chuckled at like, haha, it's a book about Jewish mother neuroses, which is certainly (laughs) something like I can relate to. Um, and I guess I had sort of forgotten that like, it's not just the mother or the grandmother, um, but it's really like, you know, Sally has these tendencies too. And I wonder sort of how much of that, I think often, um, especially in relationship to the Holocaust, we talk about like sort of generational trauma or like the ways that these sort of proclivities can be inherited. And I wonder sort of how much, how much of that is just like, she's an anxious kid, which like, I think we both can relate to and how much of that is really like she's sort of bearing the weight of some of these things that are like, you know, much, much bigger than her and that she doesn't even necessarily really understand fully. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, one of the things about this book that's so striking and about Sally that's so striking is that she could be this like super anxious, nervous, neurotic (laughs) you know, little Jewish girl. Um, and that the cover of the book is honestly also so good. <laughs> one of my favorite things about this book, because it's this picture of Sally and she's sitting kind of on a vanity and she's got pictures of like Esther Williams and, you know, famous movie actresses pinned up to the, to the mirror. And she's wearing this, you know, when I was 10 years old, I thought was the height of fancy, um, it's like a, a halter top and a skirt and they're floral and very tropical looking. And she's looking in the mirror and she's putting this beautiful flower in her hair. And she just seemed so glamorous to me. So, you know, for this little neurotic Jewish girl to also be able to be this very glamorous little girl was, yeah. If, that's if why I wanted to be Sally J. Friedman. If she can do both, you can too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love it. Well, can I can I ask the all important question? How did this book raise you? Um, I think really it boils down for me um, the whole idea of representation matters in books and literature, and especially in children's books. Um, that when you when you have a character that looks like you and sounds like you and has a family like your family, that's really powerful um, for a child. And I think this book really being one of the very first books that I read that I could connect so deeply with the people on the pages um, really set me 
up to be a, a lifelong reader and and really instilled a love of books and learning. Um, you know, maybe in some ways even uh, why I became an educator and and chose to do that with my life. What about you? Um, well, so you've talked a little bit about sort of how Judy Bloom gets into the head of a 10-year-old, which mm-hmm. um, is really really just impressive. Um, but I think sort of the, the way that that raised me or just sort of how it had an impact on me was, um, in my writing, you know, at the, at the time that I read this book, I was really sort of just learning to write and I really loved writing. Um, and I used to, (laughs) I used to write almost exclusively in, in dialogue (laughs) and it, it wasn't really until we revisited this book that I realized, um, that I wanted to be Judy Bloom, and I was trying, you know, I was trying to write <laughs> yeah. my character. I think I even wrote characters named Sally sometimes, but whether it's actually in, you know, in conversations with Ma Fanny or in letters like the one you shared with her dad, like the whole book plays out in conversations, yeah. um, and that, I mean, obviously I wasn't very good at it, and I didn't do it very well when I was like ten, but that for a long time that was how I wrote, um, and then the other way that this this really raised me is more sort of in now as an adult, how I, um, how I talk to kids or like my sort of personal pedagogy and just, um, just the, the sense that like young people get it and like trusting that they sort of understand more than maybe we think they do. And that, um, kids are like little tiny people in the big grown up world trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that if you just sort of like shoot straight with them, that, that makes such a difference. Absolutely. Now, I think I I agree with that so much. You know, I think kids exist hearing what grownups are saying and hearing the news. And Sally took a lot of what was swirling around in the news and what her parents were talking about. Um, and, you know, I think her parents were protective of her. And didn't really talk openly with her about things like the Holocaust and the atrocities that happened in World War II and Hitler and concentration camps. But she was hearing this um, in snippets. And so she really filled in the gaps. Um, she, She let her imagination make up the story that kind of the grownups weren't telling her. And so, you know, I think that has carried with me in the way I spoke to my own children and taught my own kids, as well as the ways in which I, um, you know, interact with kids as an educator, in that if you're open (laughs) and honest with kids, and, um, you know, obviously in developmentally appropriate ways, um, but, but really help them to ask questions and process and understand what's going on in the world around them, even when that's, when those are hard subjects, um, that it really allows children much more understanding and, and to grapple with that in a much more real way and having to make up these fanciful things in their heads. If, if you don't, (laughs) you know, you'll end up with, a 10 year old who, who thinks her next door neighbor, you know, might be Hitler. 
Um, so I guess that's it for this show. Thanks for joining us. Um, that was starring Sally J. Friedman as herself on Books That Raised Us. Next week, we'll be talking about Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day by Judith Vorst. You can find the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Until then, we're on Twitter and Instagram as at Books Raised Us. Our theme music is by Cooper Kaminsky. Happy reading! Happy reading.